0: Our message this morning is, comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 26. These are the words of God My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For a length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor. And high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh. And strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions. And with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just like a father the son in whom he delights. Happy is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand, in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up, and clouds dropped down the dew. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul. And grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way. And your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror. Nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence. And will keep your foot from being caught. Our God and Father... These are words that you have entrusted to Solomon and to your people down through the ages, and now you give them to us, and you give them to our young people. We pray now, bring your word forth with power and sweetness, and especially bring it to every teen, every young person in this congregation, that your word would be sweetness and life to them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Young people and teens, I want you to understand something very important that runs throughout Scripture. And that is the fact that you, each one of you, each one of you in particular, each one of you by name, each one of you made just the way you are, the way you look, your personality, your gifts, your weaknesses. You are the protagonist in a story. You are the potential the would-be hero or heroine. The question is, do you see it? Now, we all see the story when it comes to others. We all see the story when we read a book. We all see the story when we watch a movie. No matter what the particular plot is, no matter how complex and confusing the setup may be, we quickly identify the would-be hero or heroine, and we quickly identify the story. And in the story, we can see what they need to become the hero or the heroine. We can see how they need to rise up. We can see how they need to overcome temptation. We can see how they need to shut out certain voices and listen to other ones. We can see how they need to not give in to their own temptations, their own weaknesses and their foibles, their own pettiness, their own doubts, their own self pity. And our hearts go out to them and we wish for them, we almost pray for them, as it were, to rise up. Understand where you are. It's hard right now, but understand what is being said before you. Don't give in, don't go down, don't go under. Rise up. And we're even good at seeing the story when we look at other people in our lives. We can see how things that they see just as afflictions, things that they see as inconvenience, as sorrows, that there is no good to come out of this and they begin to seek. What do we do for our friends? We grab them by the hand and we we lift them up and we say, whoa, you're not seeing the story. You're not seeing this. You're not seeing where you are. I see where you are. You're flying in the clouds with no instruments, but I can see you're in a story. One day, you will see it. The question is, when? Will you see it now, when there is time and opportunity for you to rise up, for you to be the hero or the heroine? Or will you see it after the fact, when you look back, And you think, I missed it. I missed opportunity after opportunity. I listened to every voice I should not have. I didn't listen to the voices I should have. And you're filled with regret. But see it, you will. And I want you to see it now. What does this story involve? It always involves the same thing. You see, because there's really only one story. It's God's story. It's the story he tells. It's the story he tells in history. There's only one story. That's why when you read books and movies, you get this story over and over again. Even from unbelievers and non-Christians. Whether you're watching The Matrix or anything else, you get the same story. A hero or a heroine who undergoes hardship, who has voices speaking lies to them, Who has to fight within, voices from within that aren't speaking the right way. They're tempted to feel sorry for themselves. They're tempted to go off the wrong way. They're tempted to be envious, to be petty. They're tempted to sink down. It's hard for them to see. Everything's buzzing in their head. And there is like a death with all the things that they have to go through. But then, just in the darkest hour... They see, they understand, they turn away from where where they should not be going. They listen to what they should be, they get it. They rise up and they conquer. It's life, temptation, hardship, trust, death, and resurrection. That is the story and that's why you hear it again and again and again. The only exception would be... Postmodern stories where there really is no hero or heroine or villain or good or evil or conquering or defeat or victory or meaning or any of those things. And you know those stories because when you read them or you see them, you feel gypped. You feel cheated. It's not just a bad story, it's not a story. And what is in you feeling like, I've been gypped, I've been cheated here is what you're really saying is, you didn't tell the story right. That's not the story, because everybody knows the story. What does this story involve with you? It has the same elements. Let's look at them. It means, in a nutshell, you, young man, young lady, growing up in what it means to be a royal son or a royal daughter of the great King, God the Father. Now, what does it take for a boy to become a true prince and a king? What does it take for a young lady to become a true princess and a queen? Can they grow up in the lap of luxury, face no hardship, no turmoil, no temptations? No foes, no difficulties, no wrestlings within, no false voices, no lies. Can they come up simply watching TV and texting with their friends and everything goes great? Are they ready? Are they qualified at that point to be a prince or a princess? Well, you know the answer to that. No. If you read about a person who came up without any hardship, and they just go along texting and whatever else, and that's what they do. In other words, if they had the life that you want, everything goes swimmingly. No hardships, no obstacles, no temptations, no trials, no lies, no false voices, no false friends, none of those things. If you read a book like that, you'd never finish it. Lousy book. You, would have, you wouldn't even like the so-called hero or heroine. Not only would you be bored, you wouldn't like him. Why is it that we want to be that way? Again, we see the story, except when it applies to us. We see that this is God's story for every single one of us. It started with Adam and Eve. Why in a perfect world do Adam and Eve need to face temptation and lies? You know, we don't know all the answers to those kind of questions. We say, well, why did God allow evil in the world? We don't know all the answers. We're not God, but we know some of them. We do know that apart from that, we would never fully know or experience what it means to grow up to be like our father. Because our father hates death, and he hates perversion. And he hates lies. And he conquers over evil. He buries it in the grave. And we would never know how much he hates these things. And we would never know how much he loves us. If he did not send his son, Jesus, to enter into this story, to live it perfectly, to die for us and be raised for us. We could not, we could know the love of God, but we could not know the full extent Of the love of God. We could know the wisdom of God. But we could not know the full extent. Of his wisdom. That in the ultimate death and defeat. Was the greatest victory. Of all. And though we could know the power of God. We could not know the full extent. Of his power. That he could. As the creator God. Enter into the creation. And still be the creator God. And yet be one of us. And to enter into our lives and to take the worst part ever written in this play called Human History upon himself. You didn't have that part. I didn't have that part. The person with the worst life that you know of, a quadriplegic, whoever you want to name, they did not get the worst part. God said, That's my part. That's the part for my son, Jesus. And so, We know that we never could have grown up to be like him, to have the wisdom to know the difference between a lie that sounds good and truth that sounds bad but is good. We could never know the difference between a true friend and a false friend. We could never enter into God's war and conquer over death and evil and falsehood. We could never fully be his sons and his daughters. So even in a perfect world, God's son and God's daughter, Adam and Eve, faced what? Temptation. Trial. Lies. False ways. A false friend. Satan supposedly being their friend. They had to face that. They had to overcome it all. To fully be God's son and his daughter. And to do this, the next thing they had to have is they had to trust God. God's word and reject lies. Trust God's word and reject lies. Now it wasn't just enough for them to trust God. They had to specifically trust his word because in the moment of trial and temptation they don't have God standing there speaking to them going back and forth with Satan. They have to remember. They have to remember what God has said. They have to remember what God has done. What was it that Satan called into question? He called into question God's motives, his intentions, and his ability. Stated differently, Satan called into question God's love, his wisdom, and his power. And Adam and Eve had to face these temptations in the face of a third voice... That was plausibly calling all of these things into question. Note the subtlety of the way that Satan spoke to Eve. Has God said? She said, we shall not eat of this tree. Over here, we need of all the trees except this one. Lest we should die. Satan, you shall not surely die. Basically, what Satan is saying is that Eve... It's your life. It's your choice. I'm not telling you what to do. That's what God does. He tells you what to do. Do this, do that, don't do the other. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you it's your life and it's your choice. And it's your happiness that's on the line. That is the root of all temptation and of every trial. God's love, his wisdom, and his power being called into question. God is not really looking out for you, Eve. He has his own agenda, and your happiness and his happiness are not the same thing. God doesn't know everything. He doesn't know. He knows a lot of things, but you're the one who best knows what will make you happy and fulfilled. And God doesn't have the power or maybe the intention, with all of the different things he's got going on, to be concerned 100% with your happiness and fulfillment 100% of the time. It requires, next, remembering and thinking bigger than the present. Remembering and thinking bigger than the present. Adam had to think about more than what was right in front of him. He had to think about what God had already told him. He had to think about God's word. He had to think about what God had done. God made the creation. God made Adam in his image. God blessed them. God made the garden. God set before them everything and gave them permission to everything except for one thing. These are the things that he knows about God. In other words, Adam and Eve are both called upon to not doubt in the dark what they knew in the light but they have to remember. Next, it required that they set aside their own momentary understanding and wisdom. They had to set aside their own momentary understanding and wisdom. Within the little box that Satan created there in that moment, within the four corners of this constructed reality that Satan Put into the minds of Adam and Eve, it seemed very plausible and reasonable what Satan was saying. They had to heed the words of Solomon to not be wise in their own eyes and to not trust in their own understanding, to remember that God has already demonstrated his love. And everything that He's given to them, that is not even in question, if they just will think back about the big picture of what God has already done and what He has given to them. God's wisdom is really not in question if they just think about all the beauty and the intricacy of, of how God has made everything and how He has made them for one another. And His power is really not in question. But in the moment... Those things were plausibly placed into question. What do they know of Satan? Absolutely nothing. Other than the fact that his mouth is moving. He's talking. He's speaking. Talk, talk, talk. What do they know of him? Nothing. But it sounds good. It sounds good right now. The next thing they need is wisdom. Wisdom. Solomon tells us here in our passage that not only is is wisdom going to bring you every blessing that is to be had in this life, but God made the world according to wisdom. In other words, this world runs according to wisdom, right? When you walk with God, when you trust Him, when you walk according to His word, you are walking with the grain of life. You're going with the current of the river of life. Now, sometimes it does not seem like that because of trials and temptations and because there's so many other people going the other way. It can make it seem like you're going the wrong way. But, and this is something I hope you never have the opportunity to do, young people. If you have the opportunity to do what I did, which is grow up for 18 years in unbelief and living that life, And then become a Christian, then you would know the feeling of when God opens your eyes and you suddenly see and you believe His word and you start walking with Him. You would know this feeling of having a huge weight lifted off of you. You would know the feeling of, you know, for the first time in life, I'm going with the river instead of against it. For the first time in life, I'm going with the grain Instead of against it. For the first time in my life. I actually have real friends. People who speak the truth to me. People who actually care. About my good. Not simply their own agendas. Wisdom. Wisdom involves. Practicality. The Hebrew word for wisdom. Literally means skill. It's a blue collar word. It's not an academic word. Now, there's a lot of knowledge involved, understanding, deep understanding of the ways of God. But it's a blue-collar word because it's a very hands-on word. It has to do with actually living life in a skillful, artistic, and beautiful way in accordance with the ways of God and the way He has made the world. And so it gets into not just wisdom and theory, principles up there in the sky, principles you've heard, but what do they look like on the ground? As life comes to you, what do they look like? How do you apply them? And in any given situation, what are all the principles that apply and how do I proportion them? When you face different situations in real life, there's, not, there's usually more than one principle that comes to bear. It's not so simple as just one thing. Usually there's more than one principle, and it's not just a matter of identifying one or one or two. This is something that young people often do. They'll identify one biblical principle, maybe a couple, and they go, well, that settles it. But older and wiser people, in other words, like your parents, have to say, well, wait a minute. You're not wrong in the principles you've identified. That's great. And you're not wrong in wanting to keep those principles, but have you... Looked at these five other principles that flow into this situation here? Have you thought about them? There's five more. You've got seven things coming into this. Have you identified them all? Have you proportioned them? Jesus talked about the weightier matters of the law. He said the whole law hangs on two great commandments. Love God with everything you've got. Love your neighbors yourself. And then it's like a big trunk of the tree. Picture wisdom as a big tree that is growing upside down with its roots in heaven down to the earth. That's the way the Bible pictures it, okay? You've got this huge tree called wisdom. The roots are up in heaven. It's growing downward. The trunk is the love commands. Love God, love your neighbor. And then off of that trunk, three huge branches come. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. Okay? So not every principle, not every branch on the tree is as weighty as the other branches. Now the branches are not in in contradiction or conflict with one another. They hang on one another. But if you're taking any branch way out on the tree and applying that branch in a way that sets aside or contradicts the weightier branch that the little branch is hanging on, then you're not getting it. See, that's wisdom. That's wisdom. And that's Something that you need. Now, another element of this story always is your parents. And this is something I really want to emphasize. It's your parents helping you in all of these areas. The whole point of the book of Proverbs is Solomon helping his son with wisdom. He's not a bad kid. This whole book is a conversation between his father and his mother and him. You can't have a conversation if the boy's not listening. This whole book presupposes young people that you're willing to be instructed, that you're willing to learn something. If you're not, there is no conversation. And I can tell you how your life is going to end. It's going to be a train wreck. And it will be filled with regret. In God's design, your parents are there to help you in all of these things. That's why Solomon puts here and heed my words here, right next to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Notice how it opens. My son, do not forget my law. Let your heart keep my commands. And he promises blessings if you do that. Length of days, long life and peace they will add to you. And then he goes on to say, trust in the Lord. What am I saying to you? What is my command to you, son? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What the father and the mother are saying is lined up completely with what the Word of God says. They're echoing the Word of God and they're teaching wisdom to their son. They're teaching their son what this looks like on the ground as real life comes to you. And how do you identify all the different principles and with wisdom and godliness apply them? You see this in the way the book of Proverbs opens in the very first instruction in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. Those are two sides of the same coin. In between comes the phrase, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay. The instruction and wisdom of the Lord and the instruction and the wisdom of godly Christian parents are two sides of the same coin. You can't reject one without rejecting the other. Paul alludes to this in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first command with the promise. This is the portal to life. God made it this way. Part of having us grow up to be His sons and daughters is allowing us to experience what it is to be a father or a mother. God is a father. He's raising up children. We get to become like Him. We get to experience this and be a father or a mother and to raise up children. What is our prime example when it comes to the role of parents? Children, let me ask you this, young people. What is the prime example when it comes to the role of parents? It is Jesus, who is our prime example in every area. Think about it. Jesus, the perfect child. Jesus, God's own son. Jesus, no sinful impulses to deal with. Jesus, perfect in every way. And yet, he's born the same way you were, except by a miracle of the Holy Spirit. He was born a baby. He became a toddler. He became a little boy, who became a teenager, who became a young man and so forth, the exact same way you have grown up and are growing up. And God gave his son, his only begotten son, his perfect son, he gave him to an earthly mother and to an earthly father who wasn't even his real father. And this mother and this father were sinners, unlike Jesus. They had sinful impulses to combat. So you see, Jesus was not there for show. Not because it's a nice hallmark moment. Jesus, God's own son, was there in Joseph and Mary's home to be raised and taught. By age 12, at least, Jesus knew far more theology, far more about the scriptures than either of his parents did. But he continued in their home. He continued in subjection to their authority. He continued under their leading. And he worked with his dad as a carpenter till he was 30 years old. A good 10 years past the age that all the other boys were married. And none of this was for show. None of this was some second best way. All of this was God's own way. To raise up his son to be the perfect man, the savior of the world, and the king of heaven and earth. If this was God's own way for his son, let me ask you, teenagers and young people is it okay if God does that with you? Is it okay if he puts you in the home of a sinful father and mother who fall short, who are on their own path of sanctification? Who are themselves children and disciples just a little further down the road than you are. Is that okay with you? I hope it is because this was God's plan for Jesus and it's his plans for you. God wanted his son, his perfect son, to hear the instructions of his father Joseph and to not forsake the law of his mother Mary. And God wants the same thing for you. God understands that your parents are not perfect. He understands that they are sinners. He knows that they need sanctification, just like Joseph and Mary. But this was God's own way of pouring out His blessings on His son. And it is God's way of pouring out His blessings on you. Now, you are going to be tempted to not listen to your parents. You are going to be tempted, especially as you're getting closer to the teen years and in the teen years, you are going to be tempted to build a wall inside your heart and hold your parents off like that. You're going to be tempted to shut off when they're talking to you. You're going to be tempted to chafe and squirm when they're talking to you. Why? That's the question. Why will you be tempted? Why are you tempted? Well, it's the exact same thing as the Garden of Eden. Satan tempts you to doubt your parents' motives, intentions, and knowledge. In other words, he tempts you to doubt their love and to doubt their wisdom. He tempts you to go, you know... I know my parents care about me, but they're out of touch. They don't understand. They don't understand what my needs are. They don't understand what I want. They don't understand what my happiness is. They don't understand what I'm going through. So how, no, no matter how good their motives may be, how could they possibly be the ones that I should trust, along with God's word, to lead me in the right way? And you're going to want to shut it out. But why should you listen to your Christian parents? Because godly Christian parents have toward you the same motives and intentions as God does toward you. Godly Christian parents only want one thing for you. They're not looking to get something off of you. They just want your blessing and your happiness. That's it. Now, God has made the world so that in addition to him, that's his only motive, and he's proven it through Jesus. He's made the world so that you need somebody, some human person in your life, down here in this world, who has the exact same motives as God. Somebody that you can trust. They have no profit to make off of you. They get nothing, whether you're happy or you're sad. They don't get paid anything. And yet, if you're blessed and happy, they're filled with joy. If you're cursed, if you're unhappy, it kills them. Why? Because all they want is your blessing and your happiness you will not find many people in this life who have that kind of purity of heart. Your friends, they don't. Every one of your parents would gladly trade in their life and their happiness if they were assured that you would be blessed and happy. Ask yourself, how many people will you find in this life who have that kind of heart. These are people that you can trust. Now, let me say something difficult here, but I think it's important for me to say it. In this fallen world, you have parents who are unbelievers who nevertheless, through God's common grace, really love their kids, really sacrifice for their kids and, and, and teach them a lot of good things. That, that was my dad. Um, And in this fallen world, you will have parents, though, who do horrible things to their children. There are parents in this world who sexually molest their children. There are parents in this world who are physically cruel or emotionally cruel to the children. I'm not talking about falling short. I'm not talking about being impatient one time and losing it and apologizing for it. I'm not talking about all that. I think you know the kind of thing I'm talking about. And sometimes you have that in the church. Because the church is a hospital for sinners. And young people, if you have that going on in your home, then come talk to me. Or come talk to one of the elders. Or go talk to some godly Christian parents in this congregation that you trust and you know are good. Now, parents don't panic. I'm not undermining the authority of parents, but you know that no human authority is absolute in this world. The only absolute authority is Jesus Christ. Right? No human authority, not in civil government, not in the church, not for a pastor, not for elders, not for parents, not for husbands, not for anybody with authority, none of it is absolute. We carry authority so that we can serve and minister, okay? And the best friend of a godly church is godly, strong families. But the best friend of godly, strong families is a godly, strong church. And so, parents, I'm not undermining you here, okay? I'm not undermining you. But godly Christian parents have the exact same motives as God. And you're not going to find many people in this life who have that. You can trust that. You can trust that and you should. And godly Christian parents have a wisdom that you lack and you need. They've been through life. They know what it is to hear the voice of the tempter. They know what it is to want to lean on their own understanding Trust their own wisdom. Be wise in their own eyes. They know what happens when you don't, when you, when you give in to that. They've experienced it. They can tell you about times that they've done that and what happened. They can also tell you about the times when they found the grace to trust God and set aside their own wisdom and their own understanding and to follow Him and how they were blessed. They can also help you identify in different situations all the different principles that are flowing in to a particular situation and how to deal with it with wisdom. This is why you should listen to your parents. This is why your Christian parents should be in a category by themselves. Okay. Now, I'm your pastor. Your pastor, your elders, we should be in a certain category. There should be a certain amount of trust there and respect. But not not even me, not even I as your pastor am in the same category as your parents. They're in a category by themselves. God made it that way. And so I am encouraging you to trust them. Okay? What your godly parents know that you need to know is what James tells us, and that no matter how complicated life seems, when it comes down to it, really it's very simple. And it's this fact. Every single good thing in this world has two characteristics. Number one, it is a gift. Okay? It is a gift. Every good thing you can get is a gift. You can't take it. You can't buy it. You can't win it. You can't steal it. Right? You can steal stuff. You can take stuff. You can win stuff. You can earn stuff. That's not the same thing as blessings. Stuff is not necessarily blessings. You can get wealth. You can get stuff. You can get a girl. You can get a guy. You can get a job. You can get a career. You can get all of these things. It doesn't make them blessings. It's only a blessing if God gives it to you. If he doesn't give it to you, it's not a blessing. It's not going to make you happy. Every good thing in this world is a gift. You can receive it or you don't have it. The second characteristic is it comes from God. He is the fount of all blessings. And that's the way you need to go through life. Your parents understand this. You see, they see this. They've lived long enough. They know this is true. They want you to understand this is true. And they want you to live life with this simple grid cutting through all the noise and all the smoke. That it comes down to simply... Honoring God, trusting in Him with all your heart, not leaning on your own understandings. Now, one of the things that young people often think about their parents is that, well, they just don't want the same things I do. You know, they don't want good things in life and having fun and romance and all of these kind of things, you know, because I look at them and I don't see them, you know, these are the things that I really care about. You've got it completely backwards. Your parents, they care about romance for you. They care about fun for you. They care about good things, all the blessings. Look at all the blessings that Solomon lists in this uh, passage. That's our text. All these blessings, real blessings, stuff you can taste and touch. Your parents care more about that stuff for you than you do. You see, that's really one of your problems. You don't care enough about happiness. You don't care enough about romance or blessings or the good life. Your parents care more than you do, and they understand where it comes from. You're going to be tempted to listen to Dame Folly. Folly in the Proverbs is pictured as a foolish and wicked woman, and wisdom is pictured as a beautiful, wise, and good woman. And Dame Folly is always going to offer you cheap stuff right up front. Everything that Satan has to offer and sin has to offer is right up front. It's flashy. It's shiny. It'll feel good for a moment. But afterwards, bitterness and regret. Every gift that God will give you requires you. It comes on the back end. It doesn't come up quick. It requires you to walk with him. You see how God's trying to develop a relationship with you? How do you get a relationship? You walk with somebody. You trust them. You listen to them. You walk with them. And God uses your parents to bless you through this. This is life in a nutshell. God is holding it out before you, young people. Don't turn it away. And God intends your parents to be one of the major sources of blessing and wisdom in your life. So talk to your parents. Tell your parents what is going on. A lot of times you'll feel like, well, I did something I shouldn't have. I'm ashamed. They're going to be angry at me. Don't believe all that—don't li- all those lies. Your parents love you. They want your good for you. Don't seal yourself off. Don't start living a secret life. Don't start living a double life. Open up to your parents. Listen to your parents. Tell them what's going on with you. When you're having a hard time at school or with friends or whatever, open up and talk to them and receive their wisdom and God's blessing. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.